0: Hello and welcome to the podcast from Artists for Artists. Today's interview, in my opinion, is an interview that every single person should listen to. If you're an artist, this is a must. But even if you're not an artist, I just like would love for this interview to go out to as many people as possible. And no, this is not just to get you on my podcast, although that's pretty awesome that you are. It's because I just listened back to this interview when I edited it. Yes, I do edit all my episodes myself and I got goosebumps Paul Fitzgerald my interviewee is a musician who has meanwhile retired and his story is just one of a kind it's not your traditional musician story Um, the change that he has impacted is amazing and I just love his mission it's 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 inspirational. I am not going to reveal too much about what's going to happen. You'll just have to listen to it. And please listen to the whole thing because there are gold nuggets right until the end. So that's all I'm going to say. I'm just so grateful that I met Paul that night when I went into a restaurant and I saw him play with an Irish band. And I contemplated for half an hour whether I should go up to him and ask him if he would be on my podcast or not. I was so nervous. Oh, my God. I'm really grateful that I had the guts to get up and go, you know what, whatever. The worst thing's going to happen is he's going to say no. But it turned out that he was just the kindest ever and we had this wonderful interview. So I'm not going to talk anymore. If you're here for the very first time, this podcast is basically a podcast that's from artists from all over the world... For artists all over the world, and giving artists a voice and sharing their stories, their wisdoms, so that it might inspire other artists. And thanks for being here. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Well, hello, everyone. I'm really excited to be here with Paul Fitzgerald in an interview about music, about the journey of a professional musician that goes through multiple countries all over the globe. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about uh, your story, Paul. So thank you for coming on to this podcast.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to be participating in this. And I think this is a great idea. I mean I've listened to a lot of your previous podcasts and um I, I think it's it's a really lovely platform for artists to give their experience to other artists. So thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you for saying that. And absolutely I feel like I learned so much from every artist that that comes on here, even though they're not in my field of art, but it's like we're all connected in one way or another. So that's pretty really, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, so let's hear a little bit about how you became an artist. How did you end up being where you are now, but both physically in terms of the country you're now in, as well as the place you are at as an artist? I'm really interested to know more about your story.
1: Okay, well, it's a, it's a long story, as you probably realise it's going to be because I'm 69 years old next month. So it's been a long journey and it has taken many twists and turns. So um, I'll start at the beginning. Um, I'm I'm Irish, I come from Ireland and I come from a family where everybody made music. Um, It's a kind of a traditional thing in Ireland that um, everybody does a bit of performance. Um, When I was a child, there was no television. There was a, a radio which... A station, one radio station, which broadcast from 9 a.m. until 6 p.m. And so everybody still made their own entertainment. And so any kind of family gathering, it was expected that every member of the family would what we call do a term. So, you know, uh, would dance, uh, do a little bit of traditional dancing or would sing a song or if they were a better to do family, play an instrument. Uh, that was what we were expected to do right from being small children you know and um it was you know very interesting to me that you know making our own entertainment was very natural it wasn't forced at all it was just part part of our tradition so um as a child um i i used to sing and um i would uh, i would say i would recite poems i was never much of a dancer but that was my little turn. i would either you know recite a poem or i would sing a song and Everyone would say, ah, isn't he lovely? And then, you know, the next one would be my sister, probably, who would dance. Music was always a part of my, my life um, right from the beginning, I suppose, um, and performance. My father, as I say, played the violin and was an amateur singer and um, he used to sing whenever he got the chance. I mean, he would kind of sing in bars. Um, he would sing at sort of family gatherings. He would be always learning new songs to sing. My mother was a... A really big jazz fan and so we would you know when we came to England when I was a boy she got a what we called a gramophone then and um, she would just you know play her favorite artists her favorite music all the time there was always music in our house so it's not really surprising that when I went to school that's what I was most interested in and I, I was very fortunate. I mean, I went to I went to schools in England, which were mostly um, schools uh, of immigrant children—Irish, Spanish, Italian—because um, we were Catholic, and we were taught by mostly, again, Irish teachers or priests, who again had that tradition of music, tradition of the arts. You know, m- the idea of making your own entertainment, and so. Um, I was very fortunate that I went to a grammar school in London, which had just the best music teacher in the world. The priest who was, although he was a church organist and formally trained and very, very, very qualified and talented and composed, he was also really open to all kinds of music. And so it was not unusual for him to come into a music lesson with uh, a jazz recording and play that and ask us to talk about it and identify the instruments and so on and Of course, I was good at that because we had jazz at home so um I, I kind of became kind of a bit of a teacher's pet really and uh, uh, he was just my my he was my big inspiration basically you know. so um we had an orchestra at school I chose to play the double bass because. It was the biggest instrument and I was the smallest child in the school and I wanted something really big to make me noticed, uh, <laughs> to, be, to be honest. Uh, but there was a, a kind of a watershed in my life at that point because the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the British Beat Explosion started uh, at around the same time. And so I didn't want to play double bass and play jazz. I wanted to play pop music. So I, I hounded my parents until they bought me a bass guitar and an amplifier and that's all I wanted to do from then on, was to join a pop group and be a member of the Beatles. And, of course, this, you know, being a, being a teenager in the 1960s in London, I was in the perfect place to do that. You know, London, it was swinging London. It was all happening. Everyone was in a group. Record companies were handing out recording contracts like sweeps. You know, I was, I was just in the right place at the right time. So that's how I got started.
0: Wow. That's so cool, Like that it's just such an integral part of family, but also culture, which just shows us how, yeah, also maybe a little bit, I I wish we would have that nowadays still, that at family gatherings, we would have, you know, show what you can do, whereas now everyone's just sitting on their phones and doing their own thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And later on, so did you become like a part of a like a part of a group that you started playing? Did you start playing professionally immediately or did you do a a bunch of other things? Was music always like your main thing that you did in life? Mm,
1: Well, no. Um, I played, I mean, I played with, I was what we called a semi-professional musician. I would play with groups um, uh, at weekends. um, And um, during the week I would do, I did a variety of different jobs, some of which were connected to the arts and some of which weren't. Wherever possible, i tried to work somewhere within the arts or the music business. So um, my first job when I left school was working as a theatrical costumier in Drury Lane in London. Um, uh, and my job was uh, fitting costumes for the theatre. We write them to the theatre land uh, for films, that kind of thing, and learning about, about the history of costume. And um, it, was, it was a great job. It was really interesting. It also meant that we got lots of free tickets to go to shows. So I got to go see musical shows um, and um, and I was right at the centre of the entertainment industry. At the time, London was the centre of the entertainment industry. It was more important than Broadway. So again, very fortunate to be in that situation. Uh, and I did a whole bunch of other jobs that were not really connected with music, um, just so that I could make a living, so that I could come home at night and rehearse with the band and then go out at weekends.
0: Yeah, It sounds so... I know, so like bustling around and like,
1: there's a lot happening. Sounds really cool. Oh, it was, I was, you know, and um, I-, I left London uh, in my late teens and I- I'm relocated to Cambridge and was part of the sort of burgeoning art centre movement at that time, sort of the, the beginning of the 1970s and um, got involved in putting on festivals and events and that kind of stuff. So again, being kind of on the periphery of, of, of the entertainment world.
0: Yeah. Wow. You also said that you then became a teacher and lecturer and you started kind of going into schools, if I understood that correctly, based on your bio.
1: Yes, well, that's, that's, that's right. I mean, this didn't happen until much later. I have to say that my, my 20s um, and 30s were kind of became the wilderness years of my life. And um, uh, something about <laughs> when I started playing music, um, in bands, it was ex- our, our heroes were the people who were a couple of years older than us, you know, like the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, who all you know, made no secret of the fact that they they smoked pot and they took other drugs and that kind of thing so it, it seemed it was almost like it was it was part of the job you know, part of the job description was to get high and so I really enjoyed getting high and everybody else I did so and um, I have to say that over the years I, I, I Got high more, and I played less and less until, by the sort of by my middle thirties, I was no longer playing music. I'd sold all my equipment and all my instruments, and no one would have hired me because I was so unreliable. I mean, you know, I mean, the most important thing in my life was um, getting high, and so anything that got in the way of that just was pushed off the table. So I had a kind of a um, an experience which was. Um, Kind of a very low point in my life, totally as a result of being a musician, which is kind of very interesting you know, uh, and i subsequently discovered that you know this is something that well not subsequently, but over the years i 've realized that if you like, an occupational hazard with artists, you know I, I did some training uh, with um, the inventor of uh, performance wellness in America and I learned an interesting thing, which was that the largest drug abusers of beta blockers are orchestral musicians, Wow! which is, really? you know, ex- I know I was shocked because I, I was just completely shocked, but yes, I mean, beta blockers are, you know, great for instantly reducing anxiety. And so there's, it's, there's a huge amount of beta block abuse goes on with professional orchestral musicians.
0: Wow. I wasn't aware of that. Is this still going on today? Or was this only a past thing
1: uh it's um well there's more awareness about it now, but certainly you know the last time I looked at that statistics ten years ago, it was still a huge problem, and there's more more awareness about it now, but as you know, i mean uh, certainly in America, if you go to a doctor and you ask for a drug and you can pay him, you'll get it, especially if it's if it's if it's linked to your profession you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's intense. That's intense, really. Okay, and um, how did you kind of transition from that low point back into going deep into your music or becoming a teacher?
1: Okay, um, so w- what happened was um, I, 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 I ran into an old friend who I used to play a lot with. We'd done a lot of performing together. We'd done some recording together. And, um, and he said you know, why aren't you playing? And I explained, well, I thought I explained why I wasn't. I rationalised why I wasn't playing. Let's say uh, I justified the kind of life that I had. And he said, well, you know, you don't have to do that. Um, actually, if you start playing again, it may become more important than what you're doing because that's what you always did. And And that was, no one had said that to me before. You know, no one had ever suggested that to me. You know, I mean, people said, you know, pull yourself together or, you know, <laughs> Pull your socks up, that kind of stuff. But no one had ever made a practical suggestion to me that, that made sense, and it was like a light went on in, in inside my my very befuddled head. And so um, I scraped some money together, and I went off and I bought myself a, a double bass, really terrible double bass from a second hand shop. You know, just just about held together with you know bits of string and stuff. And um, and I started playing again, and. It was, you know, and I hadn't played double bass for, I suppose, twenty years. I'd been playing bass guitar, I'd been playing other instruments, you know. Then I hadn't played at all for some time, um, but it was something that I'd, I'd always wanted to play jazz, and I had never actually done so. And it was the first music, that in Irish tradi- traditional music, that I'd I'd experienced, and so I started to just learn how to play jazz, and I, so I went from this obsession from getting high. To be obsessed with playing the double bass and so i would get up in the morning eight hours a day i would practice 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 and i met somebody else who was interested in um in playing and learning and so the two of us used to go out on the street together and we would play together he played trumpet i played the the bass we'd just go out the two of us and we would play for pennies you know on the street with a hat out and it was a great way to reconnect with my art you know, it's just a fantastic opportunity for me to, to get back the confidence to play. You know, there was that whole kind of instant gratification thing, you know, where if somebody likes what you do, they put some money in your hat. If they don't like it, then they don't. And you think, what am I doing wrong? I'll change that. And it was just a great way to connect with, with an audience again.
0: That is so powerful to say, like, if you start playing again, that just might be more important. Like, it's just powerful in every sense of if you procrastinate, if you do anything that is not bringing you to where you want to go, if you just start doing the thing that you really want to do, the thing that just makes your heart shine, it might just become more important. That's a, That's a really powerful insight, I find.
1: Well, I'm very lucky because I did have that thing, you know. I'd always had that kind of vision of me being a performing musician, and I kind of lost it, you know. It had just been lost in the fog. So it needed somebody else to say to me, you can do this. It was really important for me to have that encouragement. And to, you know, and and he said, well, you know, I mean, I don't drink or take any drugs and stuff because it gets in the way of the music. And that was just such a turnaround for me as well, because I'd always thought it was part of the job. You know, that's what musicians did. You know, my heroes were people who, you know, were famous for their excesses. And suddenly the idea of kind of going completely the opposite way and being completely clean and not having any kind of mood-altering chemicals inside myself was just a 180-degree turn in my life. Then I gave it a try. Mm. Yeah.
0: Wow. And what what does music mean to you now?
1: Well, it's still uh, that's a that's a big question. That's a really big question. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. I will try and unpack that one because <laughs> <laughs> there's no simple answer. It's the only thing that I was ever really, really passionate about, I guess. And that hasn't changed. Um over the years I have learned that. All, you know, the things that I kind of suspected about music are, I've been able to much more define what they mean for me. So music is not just, for me, entertainment or a way of getting approval or a way of feeling like I'm connected with people. Music is also probably the most important communication tool that I know because having studied music and lectured in it and um, I've kind of, Realise that actually music is affects people's lives in every single way because it is a vehicle for every single human emotion and thought and aspiration. And I kind of, I guess, I always, I always suspected that, which is why I was so passionate about it, and it was, you know, that passion was so all-consuming. But I've had the opportunity through going back to school Mm -hmm. and studying and all those kind of things of of actually researching this and finding out you know how big it is and it i still don't know very much but it's certainly getting bigger all the time
0: yeah yeah i love how you also said that it's like an intrinsic part of every human's experience and that music is just it's just something that is part of everyone i guess in in every culture and every yeah in every family i don't think that anyone goes through life at this point in age without music right
1: I have been involved in kind of community music and music education for 30 something years now I have never heard anyone say I hate music never that's powerful <laughs> I don't know if you have but I haven't you know
0: no I've heard people say I hate dance exactly because you don't have to make music to be able to appreciate it
1: indeed well you don't have to dance be able to appreciate dance but it's a it's a bit more of a stretch for people isn't it you know I mean and people do talk about I mean there's that old cliche the soundtrack of your life everyone's got one it may only be one tune but everyone's got one
0: absolutely yes and so what do you find is your role as a musician in the art community what is like your mission in the art community or what was it
1: okay that's another that's another kind of <laughs> another good question i suppose and i'll do my best to answer it so when i when i started playing again in my 30s and uh i suddenly opportunities started coming to me i mean from from being the the guy who nobody would hire because i couldn't be relied on to turn up or if i did turn up i couldn't be relied on to play the entire gig or if I did play the entire gig, I would certainly be much worse at the end than I was at the beginning. Um, I became, I got a bit of a reputation as being, you know, reliable, someone, and actually, interestingly, because I'd kind of, I wasn't interested in going to the bar halfway through the gig or whatever. Um, I became the guy who played better at the end of the evening than at the beginning, which is a, you know, <laughs> which is, you know bit unusual really. <laughs> so um, so I, I got a bit of a reputation and I, I started getting, you know, quite a lot of work. Uh, just little jobs, you know, kind of club gigs and that kind of stuff, bits of recording, um, local stuff. And um and a friend who was uh, who was a singer approached me one day because she was teaching in a prison. Uh, she was actually teaching English in a prison. And she said, um, Paul, I wonder if you can help me. The, the, we have some music classes at the prison and um, our music teacher is, is away sick. And I've been kind of covering the classes, but I'm a singer. I can't really do very much. Would you be willing to come in and help me uh, on a voluntary basis? And I thought, well, that'll be interesting. Sure. So I, I went along with her and I went into this prison and um, I taught a bit of guitar, a bit of keyboards They had some instruments, you know. Print, you know, and tried to help guys, you know, to, to, to play music and, um, and I really enjoyed it. So I did it for about a month. And then after a month, I was told that the head of education wanted to see me. And I thought, oh, that's it. She's heard about my past. You know, it's, it's the end, really. So anyway, so I went along being you know, happy to apologize and, you know, leave. And she said, look, Paul, the, um, the class has, you know, really like you and they really like what you're doing. And, um, you know, Jane sort of recommends you. So would you be interested in taking the job because the music teacher has decided she isn't coming back? And so I said, sure. So that was it. So I became a prison music teacher. But, but what it meant was because I, I didn't have any qualifications. So I had to go to college and become qualified as a teacher. So, I went to college and I did a teaching course, then I did a teach, adult teaching certificate, and then I did a degree in education, then I did a master's in education, then I did another you know, and it just kind of went on like that. you know as soon as I finished one course, the college said to me, "Well, uh, well now you've done this one, you can do this one, and you get a term off because you've done the last one and of course, it was all free. I didn't have to pay because it was part of in service training, and I've always been you know I've always been interested in things that don't cost anything. So, you know, I just carried on and I never left school. I mean, that was the reality of it. I went back to school when I was 42 and I, I never left, you know, until I retired. I was always studying something. In fact, I carried on after I, after I retired. So that took me into the idea of become being a music teacher because I already was one. You know, I believe all artists are teachers. We are all teachers. You know, we all share our practice with each other. You know, we're always saying to each other, how does that go? Or how do you do that? And, and you know, there's something about musicians that is about sharing. You know, I mean, we don't say, oh, no, that's mine. You can't have that. I'm, I'm not going to. That's my tune. I wrote it. You can't have it. You know, we are, we are, we are all, I believe that artists are always so grateful that someone takes an interest in what they can do. You know, so, so we share, you know, we, we love to do that. Um, it's part of performance. So it wasn't a big stretch for me to go into teaching. So I taught in prisons. Um, I, taught, I became the head of music, actually, for the uh, the prison cluster in the county I lived in. And then the government decided they were spending far too much money on education for prisoners. And so they cut the music classes. And so I went into teaching at a college. I, started, I studied music therapy, and I started music therapy with... Um, People in centres for disabled, um, in schools for children who had been expelled from regular school. And it just went on like that, really, you know. Um, and I started to realise how important community music was. The fact that, you know, music is not just something that, you know, you do at school and you just sit through five years of music classes being bored by Beethoven and Shakespeare. Nothing wrong with Beethoven and Shakespeare, but, you know, most people go to school and the arts for them is something that they want to be out of as soon as possible. As soon as they pass the exams, they're done, you know? And, and and I believe that, you know, it's our fault really as educators and, you know, it's government's fault. As You know, that needs to be changed, you know, because music is an intri- intrinsic part of human nature, as are the arts. So they should be people should be encouraged to believe in them in that way and so that's my mission if you like is to change the the way that people think about the arts and the best way I can do that is go out and do it you know and share it with people
0: yeah that is so beautiful because that's exactly what I what I wish to accomplish as well it's um it's just the feeling that if you're an artist, then sometimes like, oh, you know, you took the path because you weren't able to do anything else or something like that. Whereas no, you know, there's there's real talent there. there's real work that goes into it. And it brings so much joy and value to the community.
1: Absolutely. I completely agree with you there. And um, it is you know, without the arts in the community, the community would not exist. Because it's really, it's the glue that holds us together. I really believe that, you know. I mean, every community has its own, every country has its national anthem, you know. Every tribe has its its songs, you know. Every family has their favourites, you know. It's the glue that holds different communities together, you know. And most of us don't recognise that, you know. I mean because that's not what we're taught. We're taught that the arts is uh, art galleries and ballet, or I mean, at least it was when I was a boy growing up, you know, know. and so unless you're interested in art galleries and, and ballets and dates, then just, you know, get it out of the way, pass your exam and never ever look at it again. And that is such a disservice to people to treat them like that. And it was the same with music. You know, for me, um, I was lucky I had a, a music teacher who I engaged with, but most people don't engage with music teachers. And most music teachers, I believe, follow such a traditional path, school music teachers. You know, they, they will um, go to school, they will excel in music, they will go to a conservatory, they will learn their, their instrument, and then they will get a job as a music teacher. And with a very limited, I mean, extremely skillful, but in a very, very limited outlook on what music really is and how to engage young people with it, all young people, not just the ones like me who were so excited about music and loved every aspect of it, you know, because I know I'm in a minority very much, and I, I don't want children to be in that minority, you know. So... I suppose the thing that I'm most proud of in my career No, I'm proud of loads of things I should be humble but I'm really not that humble I mean the thing that I'm most proud of in my teaching career is that um, uh, I after teaching at a a further education college for a number of years um, teaching vocational music courses and performing arts courses I then Got a job with a university, and um, I put together a i wrote a degree course which was for musicians like me who hadn 't gone down the traditional route but were musicians you know maybe were heavy metal guitarists who were very successful but had no qualifications whatsoever and I thought these are the people that we need in schools you know the people who are really passionate about music, the people who will go out at night for you know fifty dollars with $5,000 worth of equipment, you know, in a, in, in a $100 car, you know, just because they love it. You know, I mean, that kind of enthusiasm to get that to children. So I wrote this course for mature students like that, you know, and um, it was very successful. And here I, you know, I still get emails back from my students saying, I just finished my doctorate. And I think, my God, that man had a mohawk. <laughs> and all he liked was, you know, I mean, he probably maybe he still does. You know, that kind of thing. You know, the fact that people are, you know, it's, it's, it is possible to open music up to the community because it belongs to the community. And I think that's, that's my mission. And I'm always excited when I meet people who have the same mission.
0: Wow. And what is, what is one piece of advice that you could give to young artists that might just be starting out or might be thinking about going down the artistic route? What would you, based on your experience, say that's like the one thing that you should really um, think about if, as you go that, down that road?
1: Well, I was really fortunate to have a fantastic life um, in music just because I made a decision that I would do anything as long as it was connected with music. And that was kind of my decision in my 30s. You know, when I went back to playing music, I said to myself, I will do anything for money as long as it's got music written somewhere in the title. And as a result of that, I've been a county music librarian. I've been a music therapist. I've been a you know performer. I've been a lecturer, teacher, professor, all those things. Just because I was never... It was actually advice I got from my father. My father was a, was a builder. And my father said um, to me, you know, if you're going to do something, then be humble and take any work that comes along. You know, don't just be a builder who only builds smart houses. Be a builder who can build anything. And that was such, you know, I really loved that advice from my father. And, and that's what I would give to, you know, to anyone who wants to follow their art is don't limit yourself. You know, don't limit yourself by doing anything that isn't your art. But do anything that some is, somehow is connected to your art. You know, so if somebody says to you, "Well, okay, um, you're a great, you're a great fine artist," but actually we have a sculpture exhibition that needs setting up. Would you be willing to unpack the crates for a day? Do it because you will learn so much from that. That's that's my suggestion. And I guess there's one more, and that is be humble. You know, I mean, I've had a, a lot of success in my life. And the fact that I I was told early on that if you are not humble, you will be humiliated has been a really good piece of advice for me because I have lost my humility and been humiliated a number of times and probably will be again.
0: Wow, that's, that's really great advice. I am taking that to heart right now um, because sometimes it's just very easy to think like oh my god if i'm not getting any jobs in the actual art itself i'm not only getting jobs like around it that oh maybe i'm not a good enough artist maybe i'm not a good enough person and then to kind of go into a very negative down spiral but to go into it with the mentality of you know what i might just learn something from this is a completely different way of
1: looking at it and if you don't learn anything from it you'll probably meet somebody who you can learn something from
0: yeah that's that's wonderful thank you so much paul and our like half an hour is already up.
1: <laughs> I told you I talked talk a lot, and uh...
0: <laughs> no, this was this was just really insightful. I find it so interesting to hear about your story, and it's just wow. Thank you so much for being here. And um, is there anywhere where we can find your music?
1: Well, um, I have a. I have a Facebook page and there are various videos and pieces of music and recordings on there. I don't I mean I don't have a website or anything like that because I mean I'm retired yeah. and I'm quite busy I'll enough. Thank you very much being retired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always happy to, you know, to answer correspondence. So, you know, if if, if you know, if anybody who hears anything from this, you know, wants to know anything else that I could help with, more than happy for them to get in touch with me. All
0: right, sure. That's really good to know. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. And, uh...
1: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. It's been very good.
0: From artists for tat da n ta-da-n, ta